eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. someone told me the other day Colin and Jesse I didn't run this by you you know what someone told me they said we did kind of a doom and gloom show at some point last week and that is not us that's clearly not me guys we got the greatest sport in the world here it's not going anywhere there may just be some odds and ends that we nitpick a little bit more delicately or thoroughly shall we say because it's January some casuals would call it the off season this is just like uh, gardening time for us. We got to get in there and dig out the weeds. But I promise you, n- no matter how negative individual portions of the show sound, we got a great thing going on here. Late Kick is live. It is Thursday, January 25th, the year of our Lord, 2024. High atop a warmer, a temperate downtown Nashville, Tennessee. Jim Harbaugh's gone. He's no longer the head coach of Michigan. And since he's with the Chargers, we probably won't talk about him so much on the show in the foreseeable future, but we will. Talk about Michigan. Sharon Moore, probably the next head coach there. I'm going to discuss it. Uh, Alabama. Anyone notice? Anyone notice how the noise around Alabama all of a sudden disappeared? Well, a certain kind of noise disappeared. There's another kind of noise now. I have got to talk to you tonight about something I've never talked to you at length about before, and that is underrated head coaches. Now, I'm not talking about the big names. I'm talking about across the entire expanse, FBS and FCS. One of you asked me, who are your underrated coaches? And I was going to do, you know, like a five-minute, not a throwaway segment because we wouldn't do that here, but it's something that you could put together pretty quickly. But then I thought to myself, self, we can go a whole lot deeper than that, immunity. And so we're going to tonight. Uh, some names that will be well off of the normal beaten paths on these types of lists. And you know what, Canell, it was that time a decade earlier today. I thought he had a pretty good tweet. And he talked about something I was already going to put in the show anyway. And so we will discuss some of the coaches leaving college football. There's not a one-size-fits-all reason for it, but there is something going on behind the scenes. There is something much bigger going on behind the scenes that's being talked about 
that I'm going to talk to you about tonight, keeping names anonymous, but I'm going to talk to you about it tonight. They're watching us in Laurel, Mississippi. Jesse, have we not had Laurel, Mississippi check-in like three times in the past month? I know Laurel. It's right off I-55, ripe storm-chasing country for me, um, and nearby Soso, Mississippi. It's down near Hattiesburg. Anyway, they're watching us in Billings, Montana, Norwood, Louisiana, and Charlotte, North Carolina. Quick programming note. No show Sunday uh, because of conference championship games, and so instead we will do a Tuesday and Thursday show next week. And then we've got a normal Sunday show. And then the following week is Super Bowl Sunday. So, you know, the schedule's all wonky this time of year. Don't worry. Don't worry. We're not going anywhere. Uh, Jim Harbaugh is, though. Hashtag transition there. Jim Harbaugh has taken the Los Angeles Chargers job. And uh, that's the long and short of that. Now, there's a lot to be said here. Uh, firstly, you... You, you hear a lot said about Jim Harbaugh right now, whether it's his legacy or how history will remember him outside of Michigan versus inside of Michigan. You win a championship and you leave a team. You're doing something that is rarely done. Tom Osborne did it in 1997. This millennium, whom stelts are we talking about here? Win a national title and you're not back the next season. Schnellenberger did it at Miami in the early 80s. By the way, uh, Cam and the guys down in the equipment room down in Miami sent me a Howard Schnellenberger t-shirt that I have yet to wear around the building because I'm scared someone will snatch it from me. It is a sweet, as as Howard Schnellenberger t-shirts go, it is one of the sweetest you will ever see. So Schnellenberger did it. He won a title in 83, wasn't back the next year. Uh, Johnny Majors, you know, a lot of scandal around him once upon a time at Tennessee, but before that at Pitt, one, one, and then he was off. But, you know, a lot of these guys obviously took other jobs. It just doesn't happen all that often. Normally, when you win a title, you're entrenched. Anyway, so Jim Harbaugh's done that. Uh, he has taken the Chargers job. Congratulations, by the way, to Jim Harbaugh. I, like many of you, was at a gas station on I-185 North um, in Harris County, Georgia, last night when the news officially broke, and it was expected. So it's not like the Saban bombshell from a week or two prior. What's Jim Harbaugh's legacy to you? To me, uh, he's, you can make the argument he's the greatest head coach in the history of Michigan football. You're going to have a whole lot of people push back on you with Bo Schembechler. Uh, there are literally buildings named after him up there for a reason. I get it. I live in my era. In my era, certainly Jim Harbaugh is the greatest Michigan head coach. Jim Harbaugh just won a national championship, and it's a testament to a number of things, okay? And there's not all positive here. There was some negative this year. There was a negative light cast on the program this year. And I'm not going to ignore that. I'm just speaking personally. That is not the first thing I think of when I think of Michigan and Jim Harbaugh. You can disagree with me. That's fine. We all have opinions on this. I am, um, I'm going to think about more than just this year when it comes to defining his legacy, although I think he needed this past year to properly define his legacy. Otherwise, if he would have lost to Bama, like if they go to overtime and Bama beats them in the Rose Bowl and they don't go to the national title, you realize how different history is remembering him, which I've always thought is a little unfair, but that's the way it works. It's a result-oriented business at the end of the day. But since he did win that title, not only did he pull Michigan out of the ditch, and not only did he go through some very rocky and turbulent times within that run, it wasn't just linear, started from the bottom, now we're here sort of vibes around Jim Harbaugh. A lot of his own people wanted him gone in 2020 and then going into 2021. And they stood firm there, and they reaped the rewards. And I thought that it was a testament to when the going gets the toughest, you can either alienate yourself to a new way of doing things, 
or you can go ultra comfort zone and go down swinging, doing things absolutely your way. And that's kind of what Jim Harbaugh did. So his legacy to me is going to be a guy that made that Michigan logo mean in 2024 what it used to mean in 1974 to an entire new generation of people. I don't think that some of my more seasoned viewers realize this sometimes because the here and now sneaks up on you. Nebraska's like this. Nebraska, if you're 45 or 50 years old, you grew up knowing Nebraska as a powerhouse. And it's like all of a sudden over a, an extended period of time, which is an oxymoron um, or, you know, what I meant to say there, um, Nebraska all of a sudden is just faded. And you're like, well, wait a second. Hold on. You're 13 years old. You're 17 years old. And you don't think of Nebraska as a powerhouse? No, mister. They haven't done anything in my lifetime. Well, Michigan had started to become that for a newer generation of folks, myself included. Uh, in the latter stages of my coherent existence on this planet, Michigan hadn't done anything. And now they have. And they're in perfect position. Granted, we got to see what 2024 brings on the investigative front, but the program's in perfect position to now be handed off, maybe to Sharon Moore. But even if they were to bring a new head coach in, I don't care who, who takes over up there, it is perfectly positioned. The wave has already been climbed, and you can ride it now. Um, so Michigan means now what it used to mean to a lot of people. What's next for him? I guess Sharon Moore will get the job there. Uh, we saw him take over on in an interim basis earlier this year. But, you know, I've done a lot of hits on this, and everyone keeps asking, should Sharon Moore get the job? And I say, well, if they think he should, absolutely he should. My reason there is I don't want to be noncommittal. I don't know him like they know him internally, is my point. So Sharon Moore may be the exact right candidate for Michigan. I'm always a proponent of promoting from within. That's the true testament of a culture. If you've built a really solid one, there are multiple qualified candidates inside your building. It's a very beautiful thing when you can build it that way. But my whole point that I've gone back to many times on this is the evidence that Sharon Moore's the right guy for the job to me is not strictly what he did in an interim capacity earlier this year. So I'm about to say something. It's not knocking Sharon Moore. I'm actually praising him, but I'm kind of trying to make you realize this isn't the end-all be-all. When he took over this year, uh, on the interim basis, when Harbaugh was suspended, they did great things. They beat Penn State. They beat Maryland. They end up beating Ohio State. Then Harbaugh comes back. And so I got some folks thinking, well, that's proof that he'd be a good head coach. That's, that's not being a head coach. That's being exactly what it's called, an interim head coach. That's um, back in the day, there was, there was a, a pilot that our family grew up knowing. And so we occasionally go up and fly around Columbus, Georgia. And when he gets that plane off the ground and up to cruising altitude, I've been in the cockpit and I've been in the passenger seat, whatever in the world you call that in aviation, and I've been handed the stick. And I'm kind of an interim pilot there. And you know what I had to do? Not a thing. I had to keep things straight. That's it. Now, I could land, go home and tell my mom and dad, I'm a pilot. Or I could go home and tell them, you know, I, I was in control of a plane for a few minutes today, and it felt great. It felt wonderful. Flew up around the rock quarry, you know, came back down over Buena Vista Road. It was great, but that's not being a pilot. Being a pilot is getting the plane up off the ground. Being a pilot's being able to land the plane. Sharon Moore may be capable of all that. I didn't learn that from his interim days as head coach. We will learn that, and they may already know it, and we're about to learn it. Uh, so my only point there is, if he's cut out for the job, 
He was cut out for it before he became an interim head coach this year, is my only point. Uh, the other lesson that I will always take away from this entire run that Jim Harbaugh's had at Michigan is be 110% sure you've got the wrong guy before you fire him. Michigan kind of thought that the Harbaugh experiment may have run its course, and the fan base in some cases really thought it had, but Michigan did not fire him a few years ago. They wanted to be 110% certain that it had run its course before they made a drastic move because firing a head coach and hiring a new one is a drastic move. You should not, as a fan, have lived through many coaching searches. You, if you're 30 years old, you should be able to recall two of them, maybe. Um, you, you shouldn't be able to go through every few years this coaching search and then the next one and next one and next one. Uh, that's when you're probably having an athletic department run by people who should be posting on message boards and buying subscriptions rather than being topics of conversation on them. Michigan did not make a move when many people wanted them to make a move. They, they were, at, at the same time you were doubtful, they had doubts up there. They restructured his contract. Of course they had doubts, but there was a difference. Like there was an added step that they were going to need to take that they did not take. And there you go. He's hoisting a national championship trophy a few years later. Think to yourself, how many guys have been fired in the history of this game? And imagine, because you can't know the answer to this, imagine what each one of them potentially would have done if they were just given three more years. Some of them would have crashed and burned and you would have just been in the ditch forever because um, you made the right move in some cases. There are other cases. I think about the University of Florida right now. I think about Dan Mullen. Uh, Dan Mullen, I, look, I looked at the decision when they fired him and I said, I get it. It makes sense. When Auburn fired Malzahn, I said, I. I understand it. I think it makes sense. Actually, I did not like when they let go of Malzahn, but I understood the logic. But I just think a lot of times when fan bases advocate for their coach being let go, there is only an eye on how much better it could get. And you think you're on rung two of a 10-rung ladder, and really you're on about rung six, and you don't understand there's a lot further you could fall than there is room to climb. And uh, some universities find that out every single year. Michigan didn't. Hats off to them. Now, as for the off-the-field stuff, I'm going to continue to say what I've said the entire time. If we have some bombshell investigation that provides conclusive evidence of this or that this year, then I will change my tune on this. I am not defining that Michigan program by allegations. I'm not. You can do whatever you want to. I know what I've read and heard, and you know what you've read and heard. You know what you think it gave them. I know what I think it gave them. I'm telling you, I'm going to wait and see on that. And if it does come out that definitive edges were gained, therefore this season was definitively uh, tampered with in a manner that should have a permanent asterisk next to it, okay, okay, I'll be happy to reverse engineer my own opinion on that. That hasn't happened for me yet. And I, I kind of learned that lesson back in Auburn circa 2010 do not proactively assign the asterisks just assuming some investigative body is going to come along and, and rubber stamp it afterwards. Sometimes it doesn't happen like that. And then you've, you've warped your own um, memory of what happened and how it should be defined, and it gets really messy. So don't do that. All right, next up. Oh, boy. Yeah, yeah. So 
um, when was it? It was a couple of weeks ago, Saban retired, right? And then we had a coaching search at Alabama. Colin, here's a good endpoint for you. So Nick Saban retires a couple of weeks ago, and there's a very brief coaching search, and a lot of people claim to have had offers from Bama who didn't, and they get re-upped, and they get raises, and then at the end of the day, Greg Byrne goes and hires Kalen DeBora. And then alarm bells went off. Why? He can't recruit. Like, um, he, he's, he's not cut out to be a head coach. Now here, Colin, I saw what happened, and so I'm going to explain briefly what's happening to the audience here live, okay? Colin makes about, what would you say, Colin, two or three mistakes a year? And so one of them just happened. He sausage-fingered. It's a technical term in the business. He sausage-fingered in the control room in there, and he accidentally pressed the wrong button, and the wrong lower third came up. So if you're listening live, you're hearing what's happening. But as for the people who watch the individual videos, they'll never know it happened, because what's going to happen here is I'm going to go three, two, one, and then we're just going to restart the segment. Like this. Three, two, one. So Nick Saban retired a couple of weeks ago, and then there was a very brief coaching search, and a, a debatable amount of guys got offers from Alabama and turned it down. Uh, nevertheless, Alabama and A.D. Greg Byrne ended up with Kalen DeBoer, who they probably wanted all along. And then I looked in my inbox, and I looked around, and there were just like alarm bells going off all over the Southeast and beyond. Uh, this guy can't cut it at Alabama. What are they talking about? Fish out of water, man. He's never recruited down here. How's Kalen DeBoer? Look at his classes at Washington. That's not going to beat Georgia. That's not going to compete with LSU and A&M. Question. Where'd the alarm bells go around Alabama football? Where'd all the panic go? You notice? You notice? I, you know what I noticed? We did a segment right after DeBoer got hired at Alabama. Colin's going to tee it up for you in just a second. We did a segment, and what stood out to me was not the segment. It was the feedback I got afterwards. So I'm going to remind you of what we said because I'm only even more affirmed in this opinion now, and I'll talk to you on the back end. I got asked, do you think that they made the right hire in Kalen DeBoer? Yeah, I think they made the right hire. I have been in the SEC for a long time. I've been around SEC coaches for a long time. The ones who win the battles constantly, the ones who dominate the portal, the ones who dominate in recruiting, they're covered in scars. Those are the ones who win they are covered figuratively in scars. The way this conference operates is not for the weak at heart. It's different. It's a unique culture. It's a unique ecosystem unto anywhere else in college football. There are some guys who have grown up down here who go elsewhere. Lanning does it at Oregon. But recruiting in the entirety on the West Coast pales in comparison to how intense the knife fight is down here. Kalen DeBoer just walked into it. And I'd imagine he's got some fresh scars on him right now. I think there is a major, major misread by a lot of people on who that guy is. A lot of folks look at him as some dude who came from the Pacific Northwest and he's in the SEC now and he's going to get chewed up and spit out. I don't think that's it at all. I think right now they're probably cut, they're bleeding at Alabama a little bit, but that'll turn. I mean, you know that'll turn. Like there'll be a day down the road, a few months, where spring football started and they've got all the momentum on their side, couple of commitments. You're hearing good things about the coaching staff. Then the post spring portal opens up and then summer recruiting starts to pay dividends for them. There'll be plenty of times down the road where Alabama's got such momentum that it makes you laugh to look back on what you said and what other people said about them in early to mid January. But here's what's going to last. What's going to last is 
some of the misconceptions about Kalen DeBoer being a fish out of water down here, I don't think he is at all. Um, I think that guy is perfectly cut out to once he gets his feet under him and once that staff gets its collective feet under it to thrive. In the SEC, doing things by the SEC code is just different than the way it's worked elsewhere, and it's probably a shock to the senses right now. And I'd imagine a couple of things. I'd imagine DeBoer's walked in down here, and he's sat on the on-ramp and thought the traffic was going 80, and it's going about 110, and it takes you by surprise. It's like a cold tub plunge. It takes you by surprise to see how things really operate. To truly get behind that SEC curtain for the first time is a shock to the senses. And it swallows a lot of people up. But the ones who are cut out for it all of a sudden start to realize something about themselves. And there's this, there's this pulse of adrenaline and there's this gritting of the teeth that you may have never quite felt, all due respect, at Washington or Indiana. And all of a sudden you look around and there are famous examples in the past of guys that get knocked down early and then they get back up. And then, oh, snap, did he just pull a sledgehammer out? Yeah, he did. I think down the road, I'm bookmarking a lot of stuff. Mid-January 2024, I'm just laughing at it. I don't know the future any better than some of you. Maybe I do better than some of you, but I'm bookmarking a lot of stuff because I have a feeling in the not-too-distant future, once they've dust themselves off, him and that new staff, you'll find Kalen DeBoer fits in a whole lot more seamlessly in the SEC than apparently a lot of people think he will. Just having some fun reading the live chat because we are live. Um, one person asked, what's the deal with the color on the video? Uh, that indicates we're playing video from the past. That's what the past looks like. It's very miscolored. Don't go to the past if you can avoid it. Unless you were right about something, in which case, go to it early and often. Now, how was I right about that? Uh, well, he hasn't coached a game yet, so technically I haven't been right about anything. I just think I was never wrong about it, and uh, I think a lot of folks are. So what's happened? Why am I even emphasizing this right now? Well, it could be pure Bama homerism. That's, that's one possibility, I'm being told. Or it could be that uh, Kalen DeBoer has already started to make moves in recruiting. And so uh, Noah Carter committed to them today. That's a big get. That's an edge guy, four-star. But I want to talk to you for just a second about Bama landing Ryan Williams. I've followed recruiting my whole life. You always learn about what someone's made of. Are they a 10 on the college football fandom scale? Are they about an 8 with how much they understand this stuff? Or are they just a casual 3? A lot of casual 3s out there have been running their mouth about how little a recommitment of five-star wide receiver Ryan Williams to Alabama really means. That happened yesterday. By the way, he was committed. Saban retires. Ryan Williams decommits. Kalen DeBoer takes the job. Everyone tells you he's not going to land big talent. He gets a big talent back on board. And I have the casual threes who are yelling at me, that's actually not a big deal. You didn't gain anything at Alabama. All they got was a guy who was already committed. Is that really a recruiting whim? Yeah, it's a massive one. Because you know what could have happened? What could have happened is he could have gone to Auburn. What could have happened is he could have gone anywhere he wants to. He's one of the best receivers in the country this year. I was talking to Cooper Patagna, as I tend to do from time to time, talking about Ryan Williams' player comp. Is this really a win for Alabama? Uh, the player comp is Devontae Smith. That doesn't mean he's Devontae Smith 2.0. A player comp is taking a guy's skill set and comparing him to a recent player in that program or nationally. 
Uh, Devontae Smith, what's notable about him is not only did he win the Heisman in the year of our Lord 2020, but he also had more receiving yards that year than Alabama's top three receivers this past year had combined. That roster didn't have a wide receiver one on it. It was a problem, in case no one realized it, and that right there is one. And even though Ryan Williams is a reclassified guy, technically should be a senior in high school this upcoming year, he's probably on the field this fall for Alabama. You need to understand something. Once upon a time, I was having fun watching this the other day, guy by the name of Nick Saban takes the job at LSU and everyone says, oh, he's a Yankee. He'll never make it down here. And then those people disappear. And then he goes to the Dolphins and then he takes a job at Bama. And what was so great, you can still find it, is ESPN did a two-part conversation with Saban when he takes the job at Bama. And one of the key focal points, one of the key themes they wanted to hit on was asking Nick Saban, how are you ever going to be able to recruit here? This is a serious story. I'm not making this up. How are you going to be able to recruit here? Uh, there's a lot of coaches out there, coach, and there are a lot of critics out there, coach, who are saying Nick Saban's not going to be able to walk into the living rooms of 18, 17, 16-year-old kids when he just said he's not going to take the Bama job. How could recruits and families ever trust this man? And then he signed more number one classes than I can fit on both hands at Alabama, and then those people disappeared. It sends a really loud message is what just happened here. It sends a really loud message, kind of like when Saban landed a kid from Foley, Alabama back in the day. His name was Julio Jones, went on to do some pretty notable things in the game. But it was more than just landing a five-star receiver. You had Julio Jones, you had A.J. Green that cycle. I think DeAndre Brown came out of Ocean Springs that cycle and um, didn't quite achieve to the level that Green and Julio did. But Julio Jones committed to Alabama once upon a time, and it was a huge deal, and it was the number one player in the state, and it was the number one wide receiver in the country, and all that. But it was also symbolic. It's symbolic, you know, like Boss Man versus Undertaker, Hell in a Cell at WrestleMania 15. It's symbolic. If you know, you know. That was a pretty deep cut there. It's, it's symbolic because a guy just walked in that a majority of the college football public is telling me, can't recruit, can't land big talent, and the top player in the state looked and said, well, I'll go play for him. I'm in. And did it with a lot of jubilation and excitement behind it. So I am still being told by many people that it's not, some, it's not such a big deal. That kid was already committed, and he briefly decommitted. But let's see what he does the upcoming cycle. I am going to tell you the same thing that I told you last week. A lot of you are going to come to regret doubting that guy and his ability to recruit. Uh, there's a difference between has not and cannot. Uh, Kalen DeBoer has not recruited the South and has not landed top 10 classes because he hasn't been in position to do it. Now he is, and now I think he will. What it takes to recruit the South is not having grown up in the South. To be clear, Urban did it, and Nick Saban did it, and they had no clue even which road was which in the South when they first got down here. You got to be relentless, which Kalen DeBoer is, and you got to know people. It's not no people, it's no people. You got to be good with people. You can't be a recluse or a weirdo. Well, he's not that. And so if you're relentless and you're no people and you work with people and people like you, you are going to recruit when you walk in with that script A on your chest. It's going to happen. I'm not telling you he's landing a number one class this next cycle. I'm telling you if Kalen DeBoer does not succeed at Alabama, maybe a few different reasons. I don't think it's going to be because he got lapped in recruiting. So very early signs indicate positive for Alabama here. I don't think anyone's changed their mind on Kalen DeBoer. Like if you doubted him before, an in-state kid committing probably hadn't changed your mind. 
Uh, if you were excited before, your excitement has been emboldened now because Ryan Williams and probably more names in the not-too-distant future are on board. I just encourage you guys to do a couple of things. Check out Spring Ball. And then watch what happens right after spring at Alabama. Watch what happens to that roster right after spring. Academy Sports and Outdoors is probably right before your trip to a spring game where I would advise you to go. Spring's wonderful. You know, Nashville was covered in snow last week, but your campus won't be. The campus of Pate State will not be covered in snow come spring, but it will be covered in Academy tents, you know, and Academy fold-out chairs and the like, coolers purchased at Academy, um, various activities recreationally going on on campus purchased from Academy. The campus is fictitious in this case, but the store is not. Academy Sports and Outdoors, your one-stop shop for all things outdoor, sporting goods plus, recreation, etc., camping, grilling. They've got all the things you need there. If you cannot get there in person, academy.com, because I know you got internet because you're watching the show right now, academy.com. Um, just a great place. Man, I know sometimes you guys are like me probably, and you watch and listen to a lot of different shows, and you can tell that 95% of the ads on those shows have been placed probably by a third-party company. And so the person reading the ad, if they're being truthful with you, does not have a relationship with the client. We are blessed enough on this show to be able to pick and choose who we do business with because you make the show enough money to where we are not desperate to squeeze out every penny we possibly can from this. So we get to wait until one of us comes up in this case, one of us is Academy, and they finish the sentences we start, and they all watch the show, like they all speak the language we speak, and we say, we'd love to do business with you. But you know what? You notice between me and the screen, there is nobody. We deal with Academy directly. I talk to those guys directly. Um, they love college football. Now, I know some of you think that there's a little homerism going on because they are located down in Texas. No. What did Michael Jordan once say? Republicans buy sneakers, too. Uh, the folks at Academy know Hokies buy sneakers, too. You know, um, Trojans buy sneakers, too. Like, they get it. They understand. And so that's why we do business with them, because they're a pleasure to do business with and because they're, um, they're real ones, as Meemaw would say. So Academy Sports and Outdoors or Academy.com if you can't get there in person. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky 
co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. All right, let's move on. I can't believe we're going to do this, but we're going to do it. Colin, go ahead and put the tweet up. So <clears throat> it's that time of year. Canell had a good tweet. I'm going to read it for you. I'm going to react. He said, and I quote, College football is losing its best coaches because there is zero structure. It's impossible to manage rosters, keep players from bolting, or have any say in who to pay, and still have to worry about the NCAA. It's a joke, and if it doesn't get fixed soon, more will make the same jump. Now, I think Daniel here was maybe a little bit in above his skis, but not totally, because I don't think Jim Harbaugh left college football because of the structure of college football. At least I don't think he did. He's probably not in love with it, but I don't think he did. Nick Saban may very well have. And if he didn't totally, I think uh, the structure and direction of college football may have hit the fast forward button on when he hit the exit door. So you may listen to that and say, big deal. We got a, we got a million folks out there who'd love to coach. I saw Andy Staples r- reply to Cannell and he said, hey, man, I'd be happy to take on that list of headaches for $9 million a year. This is no disrespect to Staples. His talents are better served over here on our side of the fence. I don't want to be losing him to a coaching job. But in general, when people say that, my reply is, well, of course you'd take it, but you're not getting offered the jobs. And, and by the way, like I, I, candidly, I'd love to get shot into orbit. I'd volunteer for the risk associated with going up into space anytime. NASA is not offering me a seat on the shuttle. Because I'm really not qualified to have it. And so the folks who are qualified to hold these jobs are few and far between to begin with. But when, when people make the point Cannell's making, I cannot believe I'm going to say this either. When people make points like Cannell and I are making, Danny and I. Sounds like a show Tony Danza should have started in the 80s. Anyway, when people make these points, they're not saying we're going to run out of head coaches. You'll always have head coaches. You're running out of the best. You risk running out of the best. You risk running off the best. Now, this has not hit the sport between the eyes yet. Okay? I am actually a believer that the sport is running the risk right now of losing some of its best prematurely because it's a mess behind the scenes. I believe that because they've told me that to my face. But the sport and the college football public has not been punched between the eyes with that reality yet because it hasn't happened. You haven't watched a head coach in the prime of his career step away from the sport and say, oh, no, I'm not going to the NFL. Oh, no, I, I, I didn't get fired. I just, college football's not for me anymore. This is not the game that I recognize anymore. And that hasn't happened, but it doesn't mean it couldn't happen. So normally when you ask coaches behind the scenes, even the ones who were open with you about how they're feeling, hey, how, how many more years are you going to do this? Look, even the ones who are five minutes from retirement normally tell you, oh, I got 10 years left. Nick Saban, man, I was in the, <clears throat> I was, I was within earshot, shall we say, very recently when he um, alluded to the fact that I still got a lot of tread left on the tires. They never let you know it's coming. So when I tell you what I'm about to tell you, you need to understand this is not normal. There are coaches by the dozens who will tell you right now off the record to your face I'm just about out of here. 
I got maybe one, maybe two more years. If this stuff doesn't change, I'm, I'm willing to give it time. But if this stuff doesn't change, I'm out of here. Not worth it for any amount of money. And normally the ones saying that are already financially secure. And so they don't have to work. Uh, they don't need it. They can survive 10 lifetimes with what they've accumulated financially. Uh, but they love football and ideally they wouldn't step away from it. But that's coming. And I'm not talking about a Nick Saban. Like, all due respect to him, I think he's the greatest of all time. He was also in his early 70s. I want you to picture someone in their early 50s on top of the college football world stepping away. And stepping away as they step to a podium and say, I am in good health. I am not taking another job. I just can't do this anymore. I'm sorry. And then what's your headline? Is your headline, uh, no one's crying for him, next up, next man up, or is it going to be, uh, is this really where we want the sport to be right now? This is a disaster. Think about all the three letters out there. Like, think about NFL, MLB, uh, WWE, UFC, I don't care which direction you go, uh, NBA, like all the leagues, when I say those letters, you don't just think about the sport. You think about an entity, NFL. I think about Roger Goodell. I think about team owners like MLB. I've got a commissioner. I've got a commissioner in the NBA. I have got centralized leadership. I've got guardrails. I've got guidelines. I've got calendars that make sense. CFB doesn't mean anything, guys. CFB stands for college football, and that's a sport. But there's no organization called CFB. you got an organization called CFP. And they got their own agenda. You got an organization called the NCAA, and Lord knows what they're doing day to day, or if they even came to the office today. What is CFB? CFB's got to mean something in the future, or you're going to be SOL on a lot of what you want the sport to be. Jesse, I didn't focus group that, that statement. I'm so happy with it, though. Oh, I'm so happy with that. Um, my point, as, as it sounds a little doom and gloomy, is... Like I told you guys the week of the national title game, and I've said it a few times, and I'll say it again. I think a lot of people are motivated to get this right, but it can't happen overnight. I do think it's going to happen quicker than you would expect college football to move at, but I don't think we're there yet. What I hope is we don't lose good coaches in the interim. Like A prediction for you. I think within the next couple of years, a major head coach at or near the top of his game and the top of his profession, is going to step away from college football, perfect health, not going to the NFL. He just steps away voluntarily, and he says, I'm stepping away because I don't like college football right now. And then he waits. He goes and sits in a studio, or maybe he goes and sits on his back porch and fades a little bit and just waits. And then you fast forward five years, and maybe college football writes itself. And then the following headline is written in 2028. Coach X, ready to get back in the game. Can you imagine how big a mess your sport has to be when some of your best are contemplating a temporary retirement? I'm just going to go I'm going to go sit in the pits over here. I'm going to go sit on the sidelines. Do you guys get the sport figured out? How pathetic is that? You can you can either call them soft, which I promise you they aren't, or you could call your sport really really messed up. I just I would never betray confidence on this stuff in a million years. I'm telling you point blank, there are some big name head coaches in college football that are about that close to either outright calling it quits and calling it a career or saying, I'm done with this for now. 
promise you, promise you, you'd be shocked at some of the names that are way closer to the exit door of this sport than you think they are. I'm not talking about Dabo, even though we're going to do a segment about him right now. Who knows? Maybe he is. But I do want to address something totally unrelated. I want to stress that. Totally unrelated. This is the end of one segment, beginning of next segment unrelated. But I had a question about Dabo that I did want to hit. And uh, by the way, if you're watching live, we had a great influx of subscriptions to the channel the other day. Appreciate that if you already did that. If you didn't, which 51.5% of our viewers have not subscribed to the channel and the podcast, please do so. It helps us greatly. It's like Girl Scout cookies, but they're free. Hello, what a deal that is. So Joey in beautiful Florence, South Carolina hit me up and said, what do you think is next for Clemson under Dabo Swinney moving forward? Um... So we're going to talk about their schedule later, but I'm telling you, they got three of their first five games that are just right in your face again this year. They open with Georgia in Atlanta. You know, so if you want a repeat of last year, if you want to lose your first game, perfect recipe is go play Georgia in Atlanta. What do I think about Clemson? Uh, they got a shot to get stuff right this year. They also got a shot to lose four games again and continue to have more questions than answers. Now, here's the plus side. They return almost their entire offense. It's the second year under Garrett Riley. He's a phenomenal offensive coordinator. I think they've got a top 20 offensive and defensive coaching staff. I think Dabo Swinney is one of the top 10 active head coaches in college football. Defensive coordinator, relatively speaking, is the biggest question mark on that staff, but that coaching staff's plenty good enough. That roster within the ACC is still plenty good enough. It feels like 2023 uh, was kind of needed around there. It was a rattling of the cage, including the head coaches. And they lost four games. But you know what they didn't do is check out. The guts of that program, the DNA of that program, you raise the hood, everything you need to win is still there. You may not have the right tires on the car right now, but, but the inner workings, just the nuts and bolts of that program, it's still what you need to win. If it wasn't, last season would have turned really toxic at Clemson. It didn't. They, they dug deep down the stretch and ended up winning several games. And you can take those for granted. Like you can say, oh, yes, yeah, sure, we beat Georgia Tech. Well, of course, we went to South Carolina and won. Well, you didn't the year before, you know? So I don't take that stuff for granted. I don't care if you're favored or not. I don't take that for granted. They have done some things recently that are very atypical of Clemson. They had four losses for the first time since 2011. They're 30 and 10 in their last three years. They, they only, think about this. Here's the stretch they have. They're 30 and 10 their last three years. They lost three regular season games in that entire stretch of 2015 to 2019 when they won those conference titles, won two national championships over Alabama in that period. Wide receiver has been a chronic problem here. It still exists. From 2011 to 2020, they had 15 wide receivers who were all ACC. A lot of this comes from an article on The Athletic, by the way. Grace Rayner um, did a really, really good deep dive on some of the issues with Clemson right now. So I meant to attribute that early, but uh, that's a really good article over on The Athletic right now by Grace Rayner. They had 15. Clemson had 15 all ACC receivers. From 2011 through 2020, they've had zero since then. It's been the most glaring difference when you turn on a Clemson game. You don't need to even know the difference between an X and an O to look at that position group and how dominant they were 
on those teams in the mid to late 20 teens and then how different. They, they are, that's a JV version of Clemson football versus what that wide receiver room once upon a time was. And you know what? They're still largely unchanged on the transfer portal. Now, the difference is they reportedly have started to offer a few more guys in the portal and they just haven't landed them. I care who you're landing, to be clear. You, you, can, you don't get to come to me and grade on some reverse curve where I say, well, you know, your, your portal results still suck, but at least you're trying a little bit more to land guys from the portal. This is Clemson University. You, you want something, you go get it. You go get players in the portal. So they have not done a good enough job of acquiring talent using one of the main mechanisms that other contenders have used. Bama's used it. Uh, Texas has used it. Everybody that is winning at a high level in the sport is using it. Doesn't mean you have to live off of it. It doesn't mean it has to be like an oxygen tube to your nose as a program. But man, to deflect that opportunity when it should be readily available to you has always rubbed me the wrong way. Uh, they are not recruiting at an elite level either. You know, so you can look at Clemson and you could say, well, yeah, they're not really bringing in any guys out of the portal, but that's okay because they recruit at an elite level. No, they don't. They recruit at a really good level. Their last three classes, none of them have cracked the top 10. They had the 10th ranked class in 2022, 11 last year, and 12 this cycle. That is recruiting really good. That's not recruiting at an elite level. So what you're going to get with that result, what you're going to get with that kind of talent roster is you're going to get seasons like you just got. That's not a shock. It wasn't a big surprise. It was jarring, but it wasn't a big surprise. So the front part of that sounded positive. The back 75% sounded negative. It's not negative towards Clemson. It's not trashing the program. I have extremely high standards for Clemson because I know what they're capable of. I know sometimes Dabo deals with this up there and he thinks that it means people have lost sense of reality, which in some cases is true, and people have come to lack appreciation for what it takes to win. I don't like any of that. I got supreme respect for what he's done up there. Uh, you would never hear anything come out of my mouth that indicates he's not the right guy for the job, or at least to this point you haven't heard that, and something radical would have to change for me to say that. It's not that at all. I just know what they're capable of. I know what he's capable of because I've seen it for an extended period of time. That was not a flash in the pan. If it was, it was a multi-year, multi-championship flash in the pan. I don't think it was. I know what they're capable of. But I also know every now and then uh, minor degrees of adjustment are needed to be made even by some of the best in the game. And so that's what I'm waiting for with Clemson. That's what I think about the program right now, to answer the question. They're watching us in Chattanooga, Tennessee, Tallahassee, Florida, San Antonio, Texas. One more little tidbit here from the conference that Clemson happens to be parked in. Uh, you know what? Let me, okay, there it is. I was looking for a piece of paper. So did you guys see the ACC schedule when it got released? I, I saw some edits, but I didn't really see comprehensive coverage of this many places. Just some takeaways. Some, some of you asked me what I thought about it. Florida State does not have the easiest stretch in the world for their 2024 slate from week five through week 11. Mike Norvell and Florida State play SMU, Clemson, Duke, Miami, North Carolina, and Notre Dame. And uh, they got four out of those six games on the road. And there's a stretch there 
the at Duke, at Miami, North Carolina, at Notre Dame. They got three of four on the road, and that's the toughest stretch. They play, aside from themselves, they play four of the top five teams in the ACC plus Notre Dame. Also, am I reading that right, Colin? They open in Ireland? Yes, they open in Ireland. I forgot about that. So, you know, it, it, it doesn't necessarily measure up to some of the toughest schedules like Florida has to play in the SEC, but that is a very challenging schedule for Florida State. Also, speaking of Clemson, we just touched on them a second ago. I'm nervous. I'm very nervous. Uh, they should have a very spirited fall camp knowing what awaits them out of the gate. Clemson lost two games in the first month of the season last year, and their preseason hopes were essentially dashed before October got here, right? Well, this upcoming year, by the time, mm, yeah, by the time the second week of October gets here, they will have already have faced Georgia, NC State, and at Florida State. Three of the first five games they play are against those teams. And they've still got challenges down the road, but we are going to yet again look at a Clemson schedule that is a little bit front-loaded and even more front-loaded here. Like, you're talking about Duke versus playing Georgia in week one. Uh, it's a lot more front-loaded here. So they got it to do. Virginia Tech continues to be that, that little stealth team that can fly below radar. And they have got, to me, a fairly good shot at Virginia Tech of getting that Miami game undefeated. They play Miami on a Friday night, I believe, in week five. Brent Pry and the boys up there in Blacksburg. Now, I'm doing them a favor. I'm going to talk about them just enough, but I'm, I'm going to try and keep it quiet. So I know we really don't want word to get out, do we? No, we do not. Uh, SMU. Oh, oh, breaking news, by the way. I continue to need to remind people. SMU is an ACC team this year. So they were whatever, whatever Power 5 is now. Uh, they are, they're in it, okay? So Rhett Lashley and the boys, they're in it this year. You know, FanDuel already has national championship odds up. What if I told you that SMU had better odds to win the title than North Carolina? Better odds to win the title than Arkansas, South Carolina, NC State, Iowa. Got better odds to win the whole thing than many of those teams. And you would say, who does? SMU. The team from the G5? Nope, not anymore. Not anymore. You, you know. You know that means SMU is coming. And they have got a fairly favorable schedule in their own right this year. So let's just... Let's not be dismissive of newcomers. I know everyone's going to take Texas and OU seriously in the SEC. Well, SMU just snuck in the back door of the ACC and may end up sneaking in the back door of the ACC title game if you're not careful. So be careful. Uh, there is a circle schedule for me in the ACC. It feels like August. This is great. There's a circle schedule. And that circle is around Fran Brown's Syracuse team. Parked in the middle of approximately nowhere. They have picked up Kyle McCord at quarterback via the portal. They got a top 25 portal class. And you know who they don't play in the ACC this year? They don't play North Carolina. They don't play Florida State. They don't play Clemson. And they don't play Louisville. I could argue those are the top four teams in the conference. They get Virginia Tech at home. They get Miami at home. Their toughest road game is at Pitt. And they got a bye before that. I'm not saying purchase your Syracuse ACC championship tickets. I'm just saying, if you want to sound smart around the water cooler in January and February, 
Start talking about Syracuse. And follow James Fennerall on Twitter because he'll keep you informed. Also, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about the total and complete insanity that is the travel situation in the ACC this year. Um, we will probably have to carve out a small portion of every show between now and December. We're going to call the segment Prayers Up for Cal. And Prayers Up for Cal is because they are going to take 24,000 miles worth of road trip this year. Let me pause for effect. Cal, even though they're five seconds from the Pacific Ocean, will be a member of the Atlantic Coast Conference this year. Trust me, it doesn't make sense, but it is a reality. They got five road games this year. They will travel a combined 24,000 miles and change to play those five games. They go to Auburn in week two. They go to Florida State in week four. They go to Pitt in week seven, at Wake Forest in week 11, at SMU in week 14. 24,000 miles and change. You know what else is 24,000 miles and change? The circumference of the entire globe we live on. You know, Earth. So Cal's got to fly around the world, literally, to play their games this year. Hats off to the decision makers in this sport yet again. They will cross a combined 28 time zones. And um, guys will just be told, suck it up. Suck it up. You're on an airplane. Oh, what's the difference? It's an airplane. All right, prayers up for Cal. What else can I say? Prayers up for Cal. At least everyone gets two bye weeks this year. Okay, I'm very excited about this next segment. Very excited. Let me take a sip from the chalice. How should I explain this? Okay, so, Colin, you can keep this out. You know how during the season we show you what the point spread on a game is and we show you what the the model we have thinks about the game, and that entire model's purpose is to generate a more accurate and sharp line on a game than the Vegas number. It's very challenging, but we've made money doing it every year. System's very good. Um, Took a long time to build. Part of what's baked into that is a grade on literally every coach out there. We possess that. Proprietary in nature, we possess grades that I would go to war with for every coach in America. FBS, FCS, G5, Power 5, got them all graded. You want to know about the wide receivers coach at Delaware? I can tell you about him. Not tonight, but I can tell you about him. So with that in mind, Someone asked me, who are the most underrated coaches in college football? They did not know what they were asking. Because I've decided this year, we're just going to own the coaching space. So I've got this at my disposal. And uh, this is the only place you're going to find it because no one else has access to it. So I'm going to tell you who I think the most underrated coaches in college football are. The most underrated head coach in college football right now has no job. His name's Bill Clark. He was the head coach at UAB. He is a four-star plus graded head coach. He led the most impressive rebuild in the modern era of college football. UAB ceased to exist and then came back and it was the same guy who did it. And Bill Clark's out of coaching right now, but I don't know if he's done coaching. So he's their unbelievable guy. Also, in terms of active head coaches, Chris Kleiman, I've got as one of the most underrated head coaches in college football. That's the head coach at Kansas State. He is a top 10 head coach in America. 
any level right now. If Sharon Moore was not being elevated at Michigan, that's the guy I'd circle. I know there were a lot of rumors about other names. Chris Kleiman to Michigan, if it weren't Sharon Moore, would be a home run, a grand slam. I know Kubik loves that terminology so much. But I'm going to hit you with the next name, and I don't think a lot of you would come up with this name. Pound for pound, you know who one of the most underrated head coaches by our system's eyes is? Jeff Brom at Louisville. He is a top 15 graded active head coach to us. Jeff Brom at Louisville. I think the default for a lot of people will say, Jeff Brom, what? What? Yeah, yeah. What do you mean? Why are you doubtful of that? He would fit in several major Power Five jobs. Now he's got one at Louisville right now. He's already got one, and he is a Louisville guy. So I'm not suggesting that some imminent movement is coming from Jeff Brom. I'm telling you, though, there are a lot of open jobs every year where guys get it, and Jeff Brom is ranked well ahead of them, in, in our opinion, in our grading system. 76-48 and 48 overall head coaching record, 10-4 and four last year. Took Louisville to the ACC championship game. And another guy, I've spoken about him a few times here. This is the last head coach I'm going to mention. <laughs> I've got some names coming for you guys. John Summerall just got hired at Tulane. Tulane made one of the best hires of this cycle. John Summerall was down at Troy. I challenge you guys to find anyone who speaks ill of him. On the field, off the field. John Summerall is a stud. Excellent defensive mind. One of the most highly thought of defensive minds in the game. He knows how to staff. He knows how to staff so much that some of the dudes he didn't even have room for on his staff at Tulane are still waiting on jobs. And, and they rank well above and beyond some of the guys who have jobs on field elsewhere. And those are the guys at Troy. So John Summerall at Tulane, I think, will kill it there. And you know what he can do? He parked himself at a really good spot. He's going to be in demand. He can afford it. Whether he wants to leave or not is his prerogative. But even if he wanted one day to leave, he doesn't have to jump at the first job. Summerall is going to be a guy who has offers every single year as major jobs come open. He's in a great spot at Tulane. So he doesn't have to just mercenary his way up the ladder. And I, I don't think he intends to. Now, now, doop, 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 doop. all right, we dialed it up on the model over here. The Pate State coaching oven. You know who we think one of the best offensive coordinators in the game is? Is Tim Cramsey, the OC at Memphis. We've actually got him graded as the highest ranked OC in all of G5. Would shock me if major offers weren't on his table this upcoming cycle. Tim Cramsey. At Memphis, in the very state that I sit in tonight, another name that I don't think we've ever said on the show before, Christian Taylor, we've got as the top offensive coordinator in all of FCS. You want to know where he coaches? William & Mary. That's the OC at William & Mary. And he's an excellent running backs coach, and he's an excellent wide receivers coach. And so, yes, the model has William & Mary info in it. And Christian Taylor is our highest-graded FCS guy at that position, at OC. There's another name that I think is a lot more on people's radars, but I still think he's underrated, and that's Will Stein, the offensive coordinator up at Oregon. Big season two years ago down at UTSA. He got Dan Lanning's attention, and Lanning had an opening there. So he goes and gets him, had big numbers last year. Now, the one thing, it's not a, it's not a doubt, it's just a wait-and-see on him, is when you're so new at your position, you haven't stacked a ton of years, and you've, you've worked with really talented quarterbacks. Your quarterback numbers look good, and that's a good thing, but 
you're always cautious. Let me, let me see you do it a few more years. Let me just have some patience. Let me be cautiously optimistic. Uh, Will Stein's a big name now. Uh, he will be a big name moving forward. So they hit on their hire up there. Landing had to fill a spot. Don't just take that for granted, by the way. A defensive-minded head coach had to fill a glaring needed offensive coordinator after his OC went to be a head coach somewhere, and they nailed the hire. Um, let's continue moving on. You want some more names? Tony White, the defensive coordinator at Nebraska. And I'll tell you this right now, the defensive line coach there, Terrence Knighton, we got them both as some of the most underrated names in the country at their respective positions. Uh, as for Tony White, you give me one more year of a top 20 graded defense, and I think he's got head coaching offers on his plate. The hiring cycle this coming November and December, if Nebraska is legit on defense again this year, I think we'll include Tony White's name. Um, I'm going to take you out all the way to Utah, Logan, Utah, I believe. Nate Dryling is a name that I want you to be familiar with. That's the DC at Utah State. He just came there from New Mexico State. Top defense in Conference USA last year. Rising star, 33 years old right now. Uh, we have Nate Dryling circled, like red Sharpie circled. They held opponents to 23.9 points per game in 2022, 22.8 last year. It's at New Mexico State. They did a really good job. He was in line, according to some folks out there, to probably have like assistant head coach in his name had he stayed at New Mexico State. He took the job at Utah State. Probably won't be there very long. That's my guess. Um, also, a little different angle here, but another name uh, that is flashing on our radar is Scott Simons. Scott Simons is the defensive coordinator down at SMU. And he's good with high snap count teams. So you think about what you need to do. If you're a tempo offense, if you run a ton of plays per game, you know that that puts strain on your defense. So you got to find a guy with a real unique skill set. And he fits in your system as a DC because he understands how to be flexible. He understands how to be pretty progressive with his approach. And it's tailored to your overall team philosophy. And Scott Simons has got that. And he's at SMU right now. And it's no coincidence, Rhett Lashley needed a guy like that. And they're hopping into the ACC this year. And that's really exciting to be able to watch. I got, I got a couple of names for you here. I'm going to talk salary with you for a second because we track that as well. So LeVar Woods is widely recognized as the best special teams coach in America. He's at Iowa, but he's not on this list because I don't think he's underrated. The entire point of tonight is give me underrated head coaches. So LeVar Woods, man, like here are just bouquets worth of flowers for him. He's number one, and I know that I don't believe in this statement, but number two is not really that close to him. So LeVar Woods is in a league of his own. Great movie and accurate description of LeVar Woods when it comes to special teams coordinators. But let me tell you what else is happening in the Big Ten up there. Robbie Disher is the special teams coordinator at Illinois. Let me tell you about him. He's a 4.5 star graded special teams coordinator for us. Phenomenal. Uh, he's making about $300,000 a year as best we could tell right now. Now, if that number's incorrect, someone can correct us. But it looks like he's making about $300 a year. And that is fascinating because when you go with that grade combined with accurate pay scale in the Big Ten, just by Big Ten standards, where I think they allocate about 3.7% 
of an overall coaching salary pool to special teams, he should be at the 400K per year number minimum. But if you broaden it and you go all power five, and let's just say, for example, you had an Alabama or a Georgia, Ohio State, some of the biggest salary pool teams in the country come knocking at the door. According to grade over pay scale, he should be in the seven to 750 per year range. So not only does Illinois have one of the best special teams coordinators in the country on their hands, they've got one of the most ridiculous discount deals for a special teams coordinator going in America. I don't know how they pulled that off. I have no clue, but congratulations for them. Scotty O'Hara is a wide receivers coach who is a free agent right now. This boggles my mind when I see this stuff happen. How does this guy not have a job three nanoseconds after the staff at UTEP falls apart? So, so Dimel and the staff there, they get fired, and a lot of guys are out of a job. Some of them should be. This dude's a four-star graded wide receiver coach. To give you an idea of how Scotty O'Hara stacks up, we got him graded higher than 80% of active wide receiver coaches. All levels, guys. I'm talking Big Ten, SEC, all the levels. Scotty O'Hara is sitting over here on the bench, and he, we got him graded higher than 80% of guys who have jobs in his, in his field. I have no clue. I did asking. I did digging today. As far as we can tell, there's nothing hidden. Like There's no follow-up. There's no addendum. It's just no one has seen fit to hire him. And uh, judging by how much staff turnover we see every year, you see how inexact a science hiring is. That's how guys like that end up on the sideline. I don't think he'll be on the sideline for long, um, but Scotty O'Hara, uh, someone probably should wisen up and go grab that guy. Wide receiver coach. Eric McDaniel. Oh, shocking. John Summerall's got another one on his staff. He's the defensive line coach at Tulane right now. He is squarely in the mix for one of the most underrated coaches in college football. And I'll tell you this. I talked about what Summerall left behind at Troy and how good Summerall is at staffing. You got guys like Eric McDaniel he's bringing along with him. You, you got guys like Dave Mackey, for example, is a coach who's done really good things in the secondary with them, but also really good and underrated recruiter in the Southeast. That's a guy who, as far as I can tell, hasn't even been hired again yet. And so, again, I know for a fact there are coaches out there who are not happy you know, for example, with uh, the state of their secondary staff right now, and they could definitely use some help recruiting in the I-20 and 85 corridors in the South. And I got guys that were just shining under John Summerall, still down here looking for jobs in the South. Hit me up. Well, I don't get my phone number out, but DMs are open, guys. What about Kevin Peoples? LSU and Brian Kelly have made splash hires recently. Got Bo Davis. Big, but Bo's not underrated. Bo's been at Texas and Bama and LSU, makes over seven figures a year. Like, he is properly rated. Uh, Blake Baker got the D.C. down there from Missouri. But I think Blake Baker's on enough radars. What have I told you? We got Kevin Peoples graded above both of them as defensive coaches. Kevin Peoples comes in as the defensive ends coach here, and he is a stud, and he came from that Missouri staff. So Blake Baker brought him down there with him. Uh, LSU has upgraded their defensive staff as well as any team at any level of college football has. Now, that's a testament to how bad it was last year, but also a testament to how intentional Brian Kelly got about making sure they don't lose because they can't hold teams under 40 ever again, because that's not a problem LSU football should ever have. And 
Colin Hitchler at Alabama, when Kalen DeBoer hired him, when Kalen DeBoer hired Colin Hitchler, there was a collective oh, out of Wisconsin because they knew they had one of the best safeties coaches in college football up there. And we still think he's criminally underrated, although he just got hired by Alabama. So maybe he's not underrated much longer. He is an immediate on-field upgrade for them. I think he'll be a very good recruiter in time for Alabama and the South. Uh, he was responsible for that Cincinnati secondary, by the way, a couple of years ago that you guys saw make the playoff and then sent multiple guys to the NFL draft. Uh, Colin Hitchler, one of a few very, very shrewd hires that Kalen DeBoer has made. I'm telling you, yeah, they lost Nick Saban, and that's the story. That coaching staff as a whole is upgraded from what Bama had the last few years. You take that and do whatever you want to with it. I'm telling you, I'm looking on paper here, and um, it's pretty definitive. It, I feel pretty safe saying that. So those are some of the underrated coaches in college football. I could have gone all night. Immunity. Could have gone all night. In fact, maybe that's just part one. Maybe we'll continue to do this segment. You know what would be really sadistic is if we did the overrated coaches. Because trust me, I got those in here as well. I just don't like talking about that sort of thing as much. I will talk to you about FanDuel. I will talk to you about the fact that I have it on good authority. There's some playoff games this weekend. Oh, the live betting options. Oh, they are plentiful. And they can be profitable too. But if you're just a college football guy like me, the futures market and the Heisman market is just there. You can go bet that stuff right now. If you got a good gauge on the future, go bet it now. You bet $5, though, on anything. I don't care if it wins or loses. You get $150 back in bonus bets. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Um, so FanDuel, much like Academy, is a partner we deal with directly. And uh, they work with us. I am very excited, by the way, about some of the stuff we're going to be able to infuse in the show this year because FanDuel not only is on board with us, but when we call, FanDuel picks up the phone and says, oh, that's a good idea. All right, let me check. Let me see if we can do it. And they are checking on many things for us right now. And I'm looking forward to that. So FanDuel, exclusive odds provider of Late Kick and looking very forward to a fruitful 2024 between us and them as well. Must be 21 or over and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. First online real money wager only, $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com backslash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org backslash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. All right, a couple more things and then we're going to get out of here. Colin, is this right? Is it 8.06 Central Time? Wow. Yeah, I, th I didn't think my earpiece worked. My bad. 
Okay, I have two things that I want to touch on. Nope, I'll just let it float out there. And then we'll be done for the evening. Um, remember, no show Sunday night. So I guess it makes sense that we um, drag the show out a little bit here. Because I have to address some foolishness. So Aaron Grisham hits us up, whomstever that is. He said, one of my radical takes, because I asked you guys for radical takes, is get rid of like 95% of bowl games. They're just participation trophies anyway. You know, Meemaw used to always tell me, Joshua, you want to know why bad things happen to good people? Because they say stuff like this. And in this case, Meemaw would roll the eyes Undertaker style all the way in the back of her head if she read this. Hey, buddy, don't watch. Don't watch. Go hang out in Memphis for the weekend. If you don't like bowl games, stay away from the Liberty Bowl. Go just, just go do something. Go outside. Go play video games. Why can't people leave us alone and just let us watch bowl games? Oh, look at that Rose Bowl B-roll. Oh, that's so beautiful. Can't believe I was there last month. Um, there are some bowl games that are more attractive than others. I will grant you that. And yes, bowl season has been heavily sedated with opt-outs. And I would go into a whole nother line of thinking as to why that's happened, but I'm not going to do that because we're already a little over time tonight. But look, if, you're, if you don't want to see guys get doused in mayo, if you don't want to see a Pop-Tart take its own life and sacrifice itself so an edible version of itself can be presented to a winning team, don't watch. No one's forcing you to watch. When's the last time someone sat in a chair, duct taped with their, eye, with their eyelids peeled to the front of their forehead and had to watch a bowl game? There aren't too many bowl games. Bowl games then, bowl games now, bowl games forever. Hope and bowl games are good things, maybe the best of things, and no good things ever die. Shawshank Redemption, remember that. Next up, this is a fun, fun time here because the other night, uh, producer Jesse walked in the room and said, hey, I uh, need you to know something about the bowl prediction segment. And I said, what is it, Jesse? He said, we're just going to put in predictions that people were right on and you were wrong about. Okay, well, um, they would call that a mutiny on the open sea, but I guess I have to allow it because otherwise I got to get in there and do my own graphics and I don't really feel like doing that. So first up, bold predictions that apparently went right from you guys this year. Trevor out in Fort Worth, Texas said a bunch of stuff about Oklahoma, but he ended up saying Kansas is going to upset Oklahoma. It happened. And you know what? They did it with their backup QB. It happened. O OU was minus 6.5 in the preseason market. So this wasn't the craziest concept in the world. I put a 7.5 on the boldness scale. In fact, you could almost argue I agreed with this. I digress. Uh, Kansas won 38-33. OU goes into this game 7-0. and You remember they beat Texas, and it's just they're, they're in the Big 12 title game. Are they going to be a playoff team? And then Kansas said, hey, you mind if like we play them first? And they beat them. And then the next week, Oklahoma State says, we're going to play them too, if that's okay with you guys. And then they beat them. And that was it. As it turns out, that took OU out of the Big 12 championship game. So that was right on the money. And KU did it with their backup QB too. Next up, this was from Kennesaw, Georgia. Cal said three or more teams will go undefeated in the regular season. It happened. I put an 8.5 on the boldness scale because I thought there was going to be a whole lot of competitive balance and I thought we were going to have multiple volcanic Saturdays. And the thing is, we didn't have a team that broke away and ran away from the pack, but we still didn't have volcanic Saturday. So not only did this happen, 
we had, I think, four, Jesse, was it four undefeated teams this year? Five of the last six seasons, we've had three or more undefeated teams. So we had Georgia, we had Florida State, we had Michigan and Washington. And I'm just talking about regular season, games one through 12. So Georgia, Florida State, Michigan, Washington, they go undefeated. You want to know what would have been the boldest prediction in the history of predictions? Imagine saying in the preseason, four Power Five teams will go undefeated and only two of them will make the playoff. You would have thought, oh, every one of them must have lost their conference championship game. Nope. We had one of them in Tallahassee that went wire to wire and won the conference title and still didn't make it in the playoff. Now that would have been a 10 on the boldness scale. Next up, speaking of that playoff, Mr. Gibson did not beat around the bush in Huntsville, Alabama. He said, Georgia's going to miss the playoff. And I said, well, that's a nine on the boldness scale. And Georgia didn't make the playoff. Once you lose a game, or in Florida State's case, just wake up and breathe and your fate is out of your own hands. But in normal 99% college football world, once you lose a game, the variables enter into the equation. So the fact is, Georgia, in most years, could have lost that SEC title game and still made the playoff. It just so happened this year, there were too many teams who won too many games. And so they didn't make it. And um, that's why I know some things sound like slam dunks at the beginning of the year, especially if you're going to have to play a conference title game. Like, Georgia could have the softest schedule imaginable, which they didn't. Uh, And that schedule ended up being a a lot beefier than it looked like it was going to be in August. But even if they have, a cakewalk of a schedule. As long as you're going to have to play in Alabama eventually at the end of the year, you got a tough road to get to the playoff. And they did, and they didn't make it. Uh, Lastly, though, how about the culmination of bold predictions here? You go back to August, mind you, when Bryce from Romeo, perhaps Romeo, Michigan, said Michigan wins the national championship. I put an 8.25 on the boldness scale, and they did it. They did it. Out of the top eight teams in the Big Ten odds, they were the only team that was sure at quarterback coming into the year. And I was looking back on our notes from the preseason because that, along with their retention rate and how much experience they returned, it meant a lot. Those close games, like the playoff game against Alabama, it meant a lot. And I had two words. When Bryce gave that prediction, I had two words. I said, I don't doubt the coaching. I don't doubt the players. I don't doubt that they're capable of it. Prove it. And they proved it. It's the beauty of the sport. We don't play it on that stuff right there. We, we tee it up and we play it every Saturday. And then inexplicably, we have to do it on a Monday to finish the season. But I digress. Congrats to Michigan. Congrats to Bryce. And that concludes bold predictions for the evening. And that concludes our show for the evening. Hey, be sure to do me a favor. Make sure you're following. At Late Kick Josh, Twitter and Instagram been having a ton of fun on those platforms and we do not have a show Sunday we'll have one Tuesday and Thursday next week but no show Sunday night you never know what could drop on those platforms in the meantime you never know unless of course you subscribe and follow for free for producer Jesse for director Colin I'm Josh Pate take care have a great rest of your evening and God bless Must be 21 or over and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. 
First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com backslash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org backslash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit GamblingHelplineMA.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. 